and welcome to episode 205 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined today uh, by Ryan and Paul, and uh, we just got through like a day of general unpleasantness, as Ryan likes to say, with the sporting uh, as we do this on Sunday nights. Ryan informs me there was a bad soccer thing that happened, and then the Packers <laughs> that I stopped watching or paying attention uh, pretty much right after halftime. So yeah, that was the way uh, to go. Just yeah, brutal. yeah. So we're here to talk about happier things, and luckily the Brewers <laughs> provided that uh, plenty uh, good things to talk about about their weekend in Cleveland, especially I guess a historic thing. Uh, so we'll get to that, but first. Uh, Got to get the business out of the way. A reminder, you can always become a patron. Support our podcast at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority here on this podcast, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible podcast. And I have a feeling there's going to be quite a few questions for you guys to tap next week. It's going to be a big question show, yes. Indeed. Yep, and, yeah, I, I think number one being, are the Packers bad? But... Uh, <laughs> I'll give you a couple of days to think about that one <laughs> before you guys record reporting as eligible. Uh, but also five bucks a month uh, gets you the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get Paul's mini pods in the middle of the week as well. And yeah, Paul, you're going to have plenty to talk about. I feel like if you didn't listen to the mini pod this week, we, I, I always talk about plausible ways that they can lose because at the NFL that happens and uh, compared this matchup specifically to a game they lost against the Vikings last year, where they played too slow on offense and uh, limited possessions and ended up um, tied at halftime 14-14 with the Vikings, only having had two possessions. That happened today, but with less offense. They, they were too slow and weird, and um, just like Dalvin Cook ate them up last year, Alvin Kamara did the same thing. So um, mini, mini pods have that stuff if you want to know it in advance, and it happened. It's always my favorite part of those mini pods too, is like, just give me the worst case scenario. And you know, sometimes it actually happens. Yeah. More often than I would like. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) if you want to know how you're going to be disappointed the upcoming Sunday, (laughs) mini pod is a great way to kind of prepare yourself emotionally for the Packers game. So uh, always a good deal to sign up with that. But hey, uh, like I said, we're here to talk about happy things. Yes. Uh, specifically, Corbin Burns is freaking awesome. So uh, there's that. You know, of course, the Brewers threw their first no-hitter in, like, my lifetime, quite literally. Spent 34 years. Uh, it was the second longest streak in baseball. Ironically, Cleveland's the longest. So there you go. And they've been no-hit three times this year, which sounds like a very bad thing to have to sit through as a fan. Uh, even worse, Zach Plezak started all three games for Cleveland. Oh, good Lord. Team. I did not know that. that. Poor guy. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, man, it's like you have no chance. Talk about no hitter, right? <laughs> it's also the ninth no-hitter in baseball this year. That breaks an MLB record that was set in 1884, uh, back when guys like Three Knuckle Charlie were starting. I don't know. But anytime you break an old-timey record from 1884, that's incredible. So... I mean, obviously, Corbin Burns was electric for eight innings against Cleveland. Josh Hader finished it out. Kind of happened in the middle of the Badgers football game on Saturday, though. So I think a lot of people, myself included, I will admit, I wasn't watching the first half of the game, and I didn't turn it on on my phone until I saw the bottom line thing saying he he was pretty well into that game. So I guess, Ryan, Paul, were you watching this uh, blow-by-blow or your thoughts and impressions on on the historic night that uh, we witnessed over the weekend? Yeah, I was busy annoying Steve on Twitter because I noticed <laughs> after three innings that uh, Burns had a perfect game going, but also had thrown like 50 pitches at that point. So I started talking about how this is aggravating Craig already because this is going to be a thing. <laughs> where he's gonna, he's gonna, yep. Yeah, the heartburn watch. So I, I did that and then Steve told me to stop. So then I just really had to keep going. I was actually, uh, to be quite honest, getting kind of bored with it at that point, but that just pushed me right to keep going with it. So had to take it through to the finish line at that point. But uh, yeah, it was it was wild. We had it on the second TV, had the Badger game on. And uh, yeah, I I did not think it was going to happen. I just kept waiting for it to somehow fall apart. It was really weird. I I always expected it to be like in the ninth inning of a of a no hitter to be like 
completely invested in every pitch and just really locked in and whatever. And I so wasn't like I almost didn't care, which I think is because of the combined nature. Like if it had actually been Burns, I probably would have been much more invested. And that isn't even like a. am not complaining in any way, shape or form. But I'm just saying that, like, that does kind of take away some of the magic of it. Right. Like it, it just it isn't as cool as it is. It is if it's just one guy. So I don't know. It's still an incredibly dominant performance. And yeah, pulling him at 115 pitches is absolutely the right thing to do. There is zero question that was correct. Like you do not risk it. Because I don't know both of you were going to say that. And hell, Corbin said the right thing, said it was the right thing to do, too. So, uh, yeah, no question. I guess would you even have sent him out for the eighth, Paul, at that point or no? Uh, I probably would have just to see if he could have gotten through it like instantly just to just to let him have a, a shot. But um, I, I would have had a pretty short leash at that point and no way at 115 I would have let him go to the ninth. So. Yeah, because then it's a problem where like taking him out mid inning, then even if it starts to get like 130 pitches, 135 pitches, you can't take him out mid inning unless he gives up a hit like you're kind of stuck and pot committed at that point. So the time to do it is in between the innings and yeah that's i guess so so ryan seems to think that this is somehow i guess lessened or at least feels less special because it wasn't corbin going the entire way paul do you feel the same way is it kind of like an asterisk here or is a no hitter a no hitter and a no hitter is no hitter so it's not an asterisk but there are gradations of no hitter this is not a new thing to baseball a perfect game is a no-hitter. It's just the best kind of no-hitter that you can do. Um, and yes, combined no-hitters are not as good as non-combined no-hitters, but uh, they're still pretty great. So it's it's totally fine. And we should not have super high standards here because the Brewers haven't had one in 34 years. So we should be happy with any no-hitter we get. It's been far too long and Rock can not monopolize this anymore so um it's a it's a great moment and we shouldn't look down on it just because he didn't do a maddox at the same time which is what you need to do to have a a a true proper no hitter these days yeah i'm looking forward to seeing uh omar narvaez talk about this uh, every day in 2050 that'll be that'll be fantastic um understandably we have a lot of patreon questions about uh the no hitter and and reactions to that as well. Uh, so our first question comes from PJ Wessels, who called the combined no no. Sounds like they deserve a beer. So if you remember, a few weeks ago, and eh, maybe it was like even a month or two back. Now we we had a question, especially when Burns, Brendan Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta were kind of at the peak, rolling along here. Uh, you guys asked us to pick who would be throwing. Brewers no hitter this year, or if they would, Paul almost nailed it immediately because Freddie Peralta had that one so that was like eight and a third or something like that. It, it, it was very close. Um, I don't know if I was the only one to call combined no no, but I feel like I had said something like it, it. It seemed likely with the way Craig manages the bullpen, right? I, I at least I think maybe yeah. broke the possibility. I'm not I think the question actually was. Will the Brewers get no hit first or get a no hitter first? And that then sounds right. Okay. We went on to add some some actual spe- specificity to the prediction. There you go. Um, so yeah, I, you know, just the way that councils always manage this bullpen, and especially the way that uh, you know those three guys and the bullpen were really rolling, especially earlier in the year, it just kind of seemed <laughs> one of these days, Corbin would have that stuff and you know, would go seven or eight innings. And then, you know, you're lucky enough that on Saturday it was close enough that you could just put in hater and call it a save situation and lock it down. Right. So um, I don't know if I'll take the beer on that one, but I'll, I'll always take what's <laughs> offered. I mean, that's just good, you know, common courtesy in Wisconsin to take a free beer when it's offered. So I'll, uh, I guess I'll take that one. Um, <laughs> our next question uh, is Peter Pax. A uh, new Patreon member, Peter Pax, last week had the question about Pop, right? Um, all right, mm-hmm. so Peter's question is, Corbin definitely locked the Cy Young up after that magnificent performance, right? So I saw some of this, too, uh, you know, following 
that. And it's it's been a pretty close NL Cy Young race. And then, you know, Max Scherzer goes out on Sunday and almost throws a perfect game. So he's probably somewhere in that mix too. But Ryan, what do you think this outing did for Corbin Bird's Cy Young chances? Is this kind of like the national eye-grabbing thing that kind of helps that case? I would think so, yeah. I think this is very much like when Jake Arrieta had the no-hitter late in, was it 2015, when he won the the Cy Young? I think it's very analogous to that. I think at that point, it kind of shut down the debate. Granted, other things can still come in here. He's going to have to finish strong because his case is not a runaway one statistically. He's not going to have the raw innings. To just say, like, he has so much more valuable than than anybody else. It's going to be more of a he was that much more dominant. It's more of a, uh, I guess, like Ian Snell case or not Ian Snell, <laughs> Blake, Blake Snell. Snell, the famous dominant Ian yeah. Snell. Yes, it's the, the Blake yeah. Snell case from a couple years ago, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. He's not going to have maybe the counting numbers, but he does, I believe, now have the lowest ERA in the NL after that or something like that I, I i'd lost track of the counting numbers but i just know i i had pulled up the stat cast page like a week ago and he's friggin 98th or 99th percentile on everything there like if you're going by pure dominance i feel like he is the clear number one am i yeah. wrong Paul? no you're right he leads the league in every um important rate stat that exists for pitchers and uh i mean at some point more innings matters, but I don't think that the difference is severe enough between him and guys like Scherzer that it actually does matter. It's, it's, uh, you know, he's still a legitimate starter who's throwing a ton of innings. And uh, in the past, I feel like we haven't really cared about this as much. Like if you got in the neighborhood of like 200 in the past, regardless if it was 200 or 240 or 180, nobody cared. Um, And I've seen it pop up this year as people caring about it. And I don't think they should. Um, If, if Burns is on a you know rate rate wise more dominant than everybody else, he should win it. Well, there's probably home cooking there, but it's not like this is a relief pitcher versus a starting pitcher. It's just not the same thing. Yeah, I mean it depends on what the difference is. And you're looking. I just popped it up. Uh, Zach Wheeler is actually leading the National League in Baseball Reference WAR at the moment, so he is still out in front at six point nine. Yeah, Burns is first in F WAR though at seven point one. Yes. Yeah, because it yeah, the difference in the the war is there because it takes into account more of the inputs as opposed to what actually happened. Right. Fangraphs right. tends to be more about yeah, like the what your expected uh runs allowed would be, which in in this case he's both very good expected and in reality. So both things are good, but there's a little bit of a difference there, so Anyway, I, I do think there's a pretty good chance he wins it now, but it's still it's still going to be a a race down to the finish. And I think he could lose it with bad starts. Like I think that that would definitely be a thing that could happen. Yeah, um, I, I'm just going to steal this from Will Salmon real quick, who tweeted out all the things he leads in. So besides F4, he's first in or was first in ERA at the time, first in FIP, first in expected ERA and FIP, first in Sierra, first in. Um, uh, strikeouts to walk ratio, first in home runs per nine, first in barrel rate, and first in strikeout percentage. So uh, those are all good things to lead in. <laughs> like I said, just pure dominance too. Uh, you can make a case for Wheeler. You can make a case for, I guess, any of the LA guys. But uh, at, at the end of the day, I think too, it, it always kind of depends on the voter pool, right? And, and the mentality of them. I, I don't know if anybody has kind of self-identified themselves as a, uh, an all Cy Young voter or who that would be. But I think that's always kind of uh, important to consider in tight races like this, whether it's the stat head crowd or the, you know, more traditional writer sense. But uh, I mean, with a, another outing or two like that to end the year, I think definitely doesn't hurt his chances. We'll just put it that way. Our next Patreon question comes from Adam Post. He's kind of asking more of a philosophical question. I'm not sure how much it matters in the grand scheme of things, but Adam's question is, has Corbin Burns overtaken Brandon Woodruff as the Brewers' ace? So I guess it depends on if you want to go by numbers or stuff or what you're looking at more recently. Paul, what are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, I, I guess he has because he's the best pitcher by I think a good amount at this point. And and Woodruff's been scuffling. Not he's been fine, but uh, he has not been as dominant in the second half as the first half, be it regression or sticky stuff going away or whatever. But um, Burns, I think, has always had higher potential to be the staff ace. And I don't know that if we even if we had Woodruff as as the ace of the staff in our heads, I think it's always been a little temporary since we've seen what Burns can do. Um, and uh, I don't know. The only argument you can really make for Woodruff is he is a, a little bit likely to go deeper into games. He is kind of a little more of an innings eater, but he's never been as dominant as Burns can be. So, yeah, I, I kind of always think of Woodruff as he was the ace in waiting uh, for Burns to actually become what he's become. And uh, n- now he has become that. He's definitely the actual best pitcher on the staff, which is what that is. Although Woodruff is still very good. Peralta is still very good and can be just as good on any given night if he's got his stuff working. So it's splitting hairs and aces are mostly about just weird labels that we place on things. Uh, I mean, uh, it's nice to have like three aces because usually we have zero. So that's a uh, <laughs> little regression to the mean here just uh, to, to get a few more. Yeah, I'm a big believer in the old Goldstein Parks definition of ace, which is that at any given time there might be like between five and ten of them in baseball period so it's not like who's the best pitcher on the staff to be an ace you have to be an innings eater you have to be absolutely dominant and you have to have proven it over some time like it's not just about coming flying in and and doing it over a short period of time so neither one of those guys have really gotten to that point yet they're they're creeping up on it though because now you're looking at a a solid Last year and this year, because of the abbreviated season, we don't have quite the the sample size for 2020, but they've both been really, really good both last year and this year. And I think, you know, from the Brewers perspective, their answer to this is it's going to be Brandon Woodruff because I don't know. Did you guys catch what uh, little trick the Brewers pulled uh, with Brandon Woodruff uh, having a, a stomach bug today? Uh, no, I did not see that. So he had a stomach bug, which is why Eric Lauer started instead of him. And they then said, well, he should be good to go by Wednesday. And (laughs) it just so happens that Wednesday, if you plot it out, uh, lines him up to start on exactly with five days rest, which is what he's been doing all year, on five days rest in game one of the NLDS. Okay. So there you go. go. They are are going to have Woodruff pitch the first game. And presumably, you would think Burns would pitch game two. So makes sense yeah they just be aware that's that's where the team is on this and it really doesn't matter remember all those years with Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin and they would it would kind of be like well okay whoever has the best year basically whoever won the Cy Young that year or is going to win the Cy Young that year gets to start in the first game of the postseason but it really didn't matter and and there was also the thing with Smoltz being the best postseason pitcher of all of them because he had the best stuff so there was also that aspect of it. But anyway, yeah, like it, it doesn't really matter. The The big thing is that you have a number of these guys as opposed to which one goes first and which one goes second. That really that doesn't mean much of anything. And in fact, the way it often works out is the number two guy ends up being the one who starts in like the game seven scenario. Right. If I'm thinking through with this right, like it's it's often how that lines up. So. Yeah. However you want to to parse it. I'm kind of uh, thinking back to the 2001 Diamondbacks because that's like one of the first teams I had like an emotional attachment to Damian Miller, local connection there. But they had, you know, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling and it was Johnson game one, Schilling game two, and then Schilling came back for game seven. Right. So that's that is how it can work out if you kind of play it uh, like that. All right, we have one more question about no-hitters and and that kind of topic comes from Jay Google. He's asking, who does Rock have dirt on? He's not letting anyone contend with Juan's no-no. So, (laughs) Ryan, you want to take that one? I mean, so I I will confess, I did not have the audio on during this last night. So I did not hear what was being said about it. I probably should have, right? But apparently I didn't think to do that. Also, wasn't Craig Kishon calling the game? He was. Yeah. yeah. So, like, sorry, but I, I just generally tend not to listen. Uh, so, yeah, I, I missed that. But uh, 
what was he very uh reticent to give uh credit for a true no-no is that what this is about I don't know either. I, like, I famously don't listen to um, audio as well, and that's why I don't know how to pronounce anybody's name, so I have no idea. It wouldn't surprise me if he was like, well, you know, Wands is a complete game, so that matters more. But, uh, you know, for, from what I can tell, I think Rock's been kind of supportive too. And it's just, as as a guy who roots for the Brewers, right, He's he's probably just very happy that it happened and... Uh, he gets to call it and be a part of two no hitters. Now, I believe he actually did say that. So, uh, yeah. he will remind everybody he was he had a hand in, or at least a part of both of them. So, he gets to keep that. So, we'll be able to look forward to that. All right. <laughs> um, so that no hitter obviously came as part of a Brewers weekend sweep in Cleveland. In fact, Eric Lauer almost threw another no-hitter on Sunday. He got into the sixth inning before Cleveland got a hit. Uh, so that that was fun to see. But that combined with the Cardinals beating the Reds on Sunday means the Brewers' magic number is now down to just five for clinching the NL Central title. Uh, next question, Patreon comes from PJ Wessels again. He had another one saying there's a good chance the division is clinched against the Cubs or Cardinals at home. Here's a fun one. Who would you rather clinch against, Paul? <laughs> uh, it's tough this year because neither of those teams matter. It's just a matter of degree. And I, I do I realize the Cardinals are close to the wild card, so they matter a little bit. But uh, it's, it's sweet either way. I guess I would take it against the Cardinals because it would mean beating them in a game, in all likelihood, and... Um, that would make them less likely to make the wild card. And while I don't fear the Cardinals, I don't also want them to make the playoffs because it's annoying when they do. So um, that would be sweeter because they're both evil and it would hurt the Cardinals more. Yeah, I'm sort of torn. Do I want it to happen in a stadium that's like half full of Cubs fans or do I not want it to happen? Like partly I like the idea of having it rubbed in their noses. But the other part of me just says that's not right, though, to have like that many non fans of the team, you, you know, there for the celebration. It just that feels wrong, too. So I'm I'm a little bit torn about it from that perspective. I guess then I'll just I'll say the Cardinals because, yeah, hopefully that can keep them from making the playoffs and just keep that as a non issue. And they just get to go home again for the winter as they should always do. Yeah, I don't know, because a lot of the Cubs fans I know, personally at least, are kind of like disinterested now in this Cubs season, especially post-trade deadline, and they're kind of just resigned to the fact that the Cubs kind of stink now, and they're eh, kind of half-interested. Plus, you know, bear season is here, so they can just yell about Andy Dalton and Justin Fields now and not kind of be as invested in the Cubs. Uh, yeah, how's that going anyway? Are they still getting their ass kicked? Yes, yes, they are. They just they left are. Uh, Cooper Cup wide open for the most wide open touchdown you'll ever see. Fantastic. Great for James's fantasy team. So there you go. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like personally I'd like to just clinch against the Cardinals again because I feel like clinching against the Cardinals is what the Brewers have done pretty consistently recently. And uh, let's just keep that tradition going. And yeah, like Ryan said, if it keeps the Cardinals out of the playoffs, all the better because I that's weirdly the one team I want no part of in the playoffs just because of superstition and nothing good happens when the Brewers play the Cardinals. So I'll, I'll take my chances against the Dodgers. Thanks. Um, all right. More Patreon questions kind of less about this weekend's events and, and more about the playoff race in general, or just kind of looking forward. So, Next question comes from Jay again. He's asking, since we are in cruise control this year, let's look next year. Would you rather have Escobar or Garcia back next year? Well, choose one, Eduardo Escobar or Avi Garcia. Tough call. I think um, I will take Avi Garcia back. Um, he is having a very good year. Um, he is a good defensive player. Um, and he's still showing off the wheels. And I like that because it means he has some decline in him before he actually gets bad. Though I like it both. It's not like a definitive thing. Like Escobar also plays a position where they can certainly use him. And uh, he's he's kind of a similar profile to, to Avi. So it's really splitting hairs there. But I'll, I'll take Garcia. I think he's been super important to the success of the team this year. 
I think I'll take Escobar, uh, mostly just so that we can embrace debate here. Yeah, and cool. Yeah. I, I think that I love the, the infield versatility that Escobar brings, and I think that the, the pop especially that he brings is something that they need desperately in the infield uh, because they're a little bit light on it. I guess I don't know quite what to make of Urias's breakout uh, with power so far this year, but they really haven't had like if you look at I, I guess Colton Wong is fine as far as power goes for a second baseman, but it's not plus. You know, it's yeah. not like what you were potentially hoping to get from Keston Hira. So I think that having that power bat in, in the infield and the versatility of being able to play all those different positions, it just allows Craig to do so many different things and to cover for situations like the one that we're in right now where they can play a legitimate lineup every day, even though really their best infielder is down and they, they can still cover for it. So I I get that Garcia is good and having a great season, but I guess I just think it's more replaceable. Plus, we talked about this a few weeks ago that the outfield market is pretty stacked this year. Like you can get outfielders, I think, in a way that it's a little bit harder to get infielders. Yeah, I think for me, looking at that free agent list too, I, I think that kind of determines it for me. At first, I was leaning more towards Avi because I had it in my brain that Escobar was a little bit older than he actually is, but he's still only 32 this year. So yeah, not too bad. I mean, um, imagining that, you know, any deal he would sign would only be like for a couple more years. I feel like that's all right for me. And also he's got kind of a better track record in my mind. Uh, than Avi does. Avi's kind of got this weird alternating good year, bad year thing going on if you look at his B-Ref page. Uh, and I, I'm not sure how much I'd really buy into this breakout season too. So like, if I was going to have to make a decision on either buying into Avi long-term long or uh, throwing a two- or three-year deal at Escobar to kind of get him to stick around and plug holes where needed, like Ryan said, I, I think I would lean more towards Escobar. But also, he's a guy that I've just wanted to be on the Brewers for like five or six years. So <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Um, you know, that versatility is very Stearnsy. And, you know, I, I think especially valuable to a team like the Brewers where they can kind of shift him around wherever. So I, I think I would probably take Escobar at this point, too, um, especially considering, you know, uh, like Ryan said, outfield power is a little bit easier to replace and the brewers kind of have you know hopefully in the next two or three years here more coming up in the outfield ranks than they do in the infield ranks so um maybe that factors into it a little bit for me as well so there's that yeah uh another question from jay he's asking uh about adrian hauser it's a kind of a topic we kind of uh danced around in the last week or two as well Jay's asking, so what's the plan for Hauser in the playoffs? Is he going to start, or should they move into the pen to solidify that area as well? I guess with another week of data to go on and another good start <laughs> from Eric Lauer, <laughs> Paul, have, has your feelings changed on Adrian Hauser as a postseason starter at all? I mean, not really. He's been really good, too. And I think the answer to the question is he's a matchup play. Uh, it, he has his strengths and weaknesses. And if they run into teams that are uh, that play to his strengths of getting righties out, then he will likely start. And if they play to a team that's not, then he will be a, a bullpen rookie for that series at least. So that's what you. I think that's exactly what you do with them. Um, and uh, it's nice to have that kind of versatility from the guy too. But as good as Lauer's been, Hauser's been pretty much just as good lately. He had the he had the Maddox the other day, did he not? Yes, an exact Maddox. Yeah. The yeah. that is a complete game shutout on a hundred or fewer pitches. Yep, and he was exactly at a hundred, right? So that finally happened. It took a long time, but because that was the first since twenty fourteen, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, Ryan, your thoughts on Hauser as a starter now in the postseason? I think you basically are going to want to piggyback them. I think that, that there's a lot of advantage to that, especially if you can get a team that wants to stack their lineup one way and then you can get them to flip it the other way when you bring in the other one and basically empty up their bench 
and then get them into a position where they don't have much later on and you can really go back at them again depending on how you want to set it up and and all of that and it does i I agree with paul that you do want to play this sort of depending on what the team has as far as hitters and who the best hitters on that team are i think that when you're talking about the dodgers man it that one's tough just because they're so good Yeah, yeah, they're they're deep. I don't know. Yep. They've kind of made it platoon proof, right? They so. really have. Yeah, doesn't help you. Yeah, I yeah, I guess the Giants would probably be lefty, right? You'd probably want to go with. A I lefty. think so. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, just that, get through their lineup. And the Braves—they have an entirely new team from what they had. <laughs> like they just completely side outed that whole thing uh, at the the trade deadline. So I don't know. And that's that does seem. I think we're we're in agreement. We think that's where this is headed, right? Is the Braves? It looks like it. Yeah, that would be my bet right now. Team go for the top seed, but yeah, the Braves seems most likely at this point. Well, and so you look at it with the Braves with. The fact that their best hitter obviously is a lefty in, in Freddie Freeman, and then their best right-handed hitter Acuna is out for the season, so that sort of you know changes that factor there. Uh, Ozzy Albies is a switch hitter, and they added Solaire. They added a bunch of guys. They though. added Jock Peterson, but really, it's a lot of it's a lot of righties: Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, William Contreras. Uh, Guillermo Heredia, Jorge Soler. Yeah, it's a lot of righties. So if you're facing them, maybe you do lean towards starting Adrian Hauser. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe that is the way to go with that, though. You know. I mean, yeah, you, you would take your chances with Freeman, but like <laughs> that in the past, too. Like, Hauser's actually kind of improved in that regard too at, at least i guess when he's not facing jesse winker but um <laughs> you know so oh, jesse. I, I would feel good about either one of those honestly so i i'm not too worried about that as you know and, and i ideally if you're pitching adrian hauser in like a game four you've already got a 2-1 lead or something like that you know so uh it, hopefully it's not in a situation that's must win yeah, so, yeah. hopefully so Hopefully well, so. hopefully they don't even get to a game four in that series. That would be nice. Yeah, then they don't have to worry about it. Um, I brought up Eric Lauer, and Devin Bearwolf has a question kind of related to that. You know, a, a couple of months ago, we had a question about the worst trades in David Stern's history, and I think we had a pretty clear answer at the time that maybe we want to reevaluate at this point. Um, I feel like a lot of us were really down on the Trent Grisham for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer trade, uh, at least earlier this year. And I don't think he would have blamed anybody for thinking it was probably one of the worst deals that David Stearns had made. But, you know, with the benefit of the season behind us, almost at least, uh, things might be looking a little bit different. Devin's question here says, how does everyone feel about the Luis Urias-Eric Lauer trade now? Are they close to winning that trade as opposed to losing it? Ryan, how have your thoughts on this deal changed uh, are they actually winning it now? I guess considering they got two good players out of it instead of just one. I mean, they're doing fine. They're doing absolutely fine with it. They're, you can't really complain about the results uh, of this because, yeah, Eric Lauer has emerged as a very credible big league starter for them this season. And Luis Urias has emerged as a very credible everyday player. So it's hard to balance that against the fact that, well, they, they did also trade away Zach Davies, but then, you know, Davies got flipped and he had much less control than any of the other players involved in the deal. So that complicates it all. But I think ultimately the Brewers did something that has worked out here. And you may also look at this as a situation where they felt like Trent Grisham, it was going to be harder for him here because of what had happened with that error in the outfield in that game. And maybe they looked at it like it would be better to let him start someplace else and get off to a fresh start there and not have to have that baggage. Because if that had, there was a chance for that to spiral and for him to, to really become like a scapegoat in the minds of fans. And like, it it could have just gotten to be a bad situation. So there's also that, aspect of it but 
I don't think you can really you can't criticize this deal anymore. And I think it, it also is a great reminder that you have to wait a while on trades to really get a full appreciation for what they are, because this deal looks absolutely completely different than where they were with it last year. Yeah. Or even two months ago, like whatever we had the question, <laughs> right? Like, it, yeah, they got, so much. They got off to such a bad, you know, Grisham got out to a big lead in terms of value, but yeah, everybody's kind of come around a little bit here and Urias found his spot, not playing shortstop and Lauer's turned it on quite well. So every, every day, every week that goes by the trade looks, you know, certainly more balanced and more in the brewer's favor. It's, it looks quite good. So yeah, we should revisit it. Absolutely. And, you know, we can't factor in too much that the Cubs were dumb enough to take Zach Davies in return for you, freaking Darvish. So, um, yeah, you know, the Padres turned out pretty well in this deal, too. I think it's just one of those deals where, you know, everybody was kind of dealing from sources of strength and it just worked out for everybody involved. Doesn't have to be a winner or loser in every deal. Some deals can just be nice trades that work out for everyone and everyone's happy. Unless the Padres miss the playoffs after blowing that big lead, then they'll be less happy. But, you know, <laughs> I think they would take the results so far. I also got uh, a meme out of it, so that was fun. Yeah, there you go. Um, good times. Good times indeed. All right, next Patreon question comes from Jake Prohaska. He's asking, how can we don't see Major League Manager blowups at umps anymore? I miss some good Ozzy Gian and Bobby Cox theatrics. It's entertaining when Council is obviously mad and gives it to the ump but I feel like I haven't seen a good over-the-top reaction from any manager lately. Did the league do something about it, or are today's managers just boring stat nerds? Oh, is it a stat nerd thing, or uh, has this generation just kind of been more laid back? You got a couple things working here. You have uh, you have replay, first of all. So you have an out for a good chunk of plays that are called against you. And yeah, replay screws up a lot. We all see that all the time. But um, you can't get you – know, there's, no, there's nobody to scream at when replay goes wrong. You, you can get on the phone to New York if you want, but they won't throw you out of the game because nobody will see it. Um, you can't argue balls and strikes. That gets you ejected immediately. So blow-ups are not super common because you are um, immediately supposed to leave. They happen sometimes, but not that often. And, yeah, we got some standards. I think a lot of people have just decided it's not a good idea. It works against your team actively to do that. Um, it – you know it, umpires have some latitude and occasionally we'll see things um, against you if they're angry at you. So that happens. Um, it, it's, it's very pragmatic to not um, argue. And also one other thing that we should mention, which is it's not an open secret or it's not a, a secret anymore as to a, an umpire being bad. I think one of the reasons that guys would blow up in the past is to make the case to fans, owners, other people watching that, this isn't my fault. This umpire screwed up, and I want everybody to know he screwed up, and it's his fault. Whereas now, um, we have an umpire scorecard. Everybody knows when the umpire screws up. Everybody knows the umpires that are going to screw up. Like, if C.B. Buckner screws you, you don't have to go make a big stink out of it because the internet will do it for you. So um, all, all those things combine together to to you know work against the old-timey manager kicking dirt on people and uh, spitting on people. So. It's a, I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's a, that's why we have the, the new situation. Yeah. And I, I actually wouldn't have thought of that. And I think you're absolutely right about that, that all of those things combined, uh, the no, or the, the no arguing balls and strikes still happens. And I think that's where most managers get tossed now, right? They get tossed from the dugout and then they come out and get their money's worth. I feel like Craig Council's been tossed from the dugout multiple times this year. And he has five ejections this year and it, Pretty sure multiple of them were from him barking from the bench and then getting tossed there. Or at least somebody on the bench barking and getting tossed. We see that all the time now. Yeah. And like a bulk of the Brewers ejections came in that Minnesota series where the strike zone was just atrocious. So yeah, they they just felt like, yeah, they knew they were going to get tossed, but Mm -hmm. did it anyway because it was just pathetic. So Yeah, and the other thing, too, is... I think there's just also a general expectation of professionalism now that has been raised, right? The bar on that has been raised from where it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, It was more okay for a manager to be a, you know, like think of Lee Elia 
right? Did I say that right? The the Cubs manager basically drunk the, ranting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that sort of thing was just more acceptable. Now, if a manager behaves in those ways and really does seem unhinged, uh, the media is going to criticize that. And I think that's part of why we don't see it. I just don't think it's like accepted behavior the same way as it used to be. Like, I I think that you would uh, a manager would take a lot more criticism and look more out of control than they uh in the past, it it really was more of a of a performative thing, and when you actually did have managers seriously get angry, and and there would be actual like brawls involved and like shoving and pushing and and those sorts of things, th- those sorts of things just aren't acceptable anymore, and it, we've moved past it, and that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, and like aside from the media too, like the players aren't going to respect someone like that, you know, like. Look at how poorly Bobby Valentine in Boston ended up. You know, like that was just a complete dumpster fire reset. Like it just didn't fit with the culture anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not even just a, you know, young guys can't take screaming at them anymore thing. It's just like this generation can kind of just see an old man screaming and yelling and just roll their eyes at it. And they don't really respond the same way. So it just doesn't get you anything. And that's probably, you know, to sum up all of our thoughts on this, it, it just isn't worth it. It doesn't get you anything. It's entertaining, but you know, in the long run, it, it just doesn't serve you or the team. Well, and in fact, probably hurts you perception wise, like you guys said. So mm-hmm. that all kind of explains yep. it. All right. One last uh, Patreon question here this week. It comes from Philip Schumacher, uh, you know, with the Brewers magic number down into the single digits. Now we're starting to look ahead to the playoffs and, you know, some of the guys who are kind of banged up now. So Phillip's question is, which are you more concerned about going into the playoffs? Is it Willie Adamas's quad or uh, Freddie Peralta's shoulder? Paul, which one is the scarier thought for you? They're, they're both scary. I, I guess I will lean um, Willie Adamas quad. Normally, I would answer the shoulder because shoulders and pitchers are very, very bad. Um, they can be so extreme that in careers like Jimmy Nelson, um, and they're hard to fix. They're not something that you want to take lightly. But nobody seems seems particularly concerned with Freddie's shoulder. I think it's pretty minor, um, and I think he's going to be okay. Um, Willie Adamas, I think, is their most important position player. They seem to just play. I mean, they've they've been pretty good lately. They blew the doors off people today. But I, I think he really gets the team going. I like. I think he's good for chemistry. He plays a, an important position, and they really do need his bat. Um, so the quad is a little weird too. It flared up after they thought he was okay to go. I don't like it when that happens. It means it's more severe than the doctors anticipated it being, and I don't like unpredictability in super important players. So. Um, neither are good, but I will I will say I'm a little bit more worried about Willie not being in the playoffs. It sounds depressing to not have Willie in the playoffs. So that one. Yeah, I think to me, this mostly comes down to Willie is the guy who the injury is currently keeping him out. And Freddie, whatever that injury is, he's now made two starts since coming yep. back from it. So I, I think you have to be more concerned about the thing that is currently keeping the guy out. Now, whether or not he needs to be out, we don't really know. Because right. you have a 10-day IL, and so that's how long you have to be on there when you go on it. So you don't really necessarily have a choice. But, yeah, he is currently out. And until we see him out there healthy, running, doing well, that's going to be the place to be nervous. Yeah, and I think the bat is probably the more uh, important thing as we get into postseason baseball. You know, the run environment kind of shrinks a little bit and yeah it'd be nice to have freddie 100 percent and pitching like he was earlier this year but it if the question comes down to your mvp candidate bat or your number three starter in the postseason i think you worry more about the bat and the offense especially you know in the postseason where three runs might win you a lot of games so i i, I think that's where i would lean as well um so yeah, we'll we'll just kind of see how that goes. And I, I do kind of think if push came to shove and the Brewers needed to win a lot of these games, I think Adamus would probably still be active. He wouldn't be on the aisle and they'd try to push it a little bit more than they have. But that's that's kind of my feeling. 
we also do have a Twitter question to get to this week. A reminder, you can also send us questions on Twitter, even if you're not a patron. Our Twitter account is at MKE Tailgate. You can send the question there when we send out that call for questions every week. You can also just send a tweet to either one of us. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. And our question this week on Twitter comes from Scott Romportal. He's asking, who is the Seth McClung of this pennant chase that can mean whatever you want it to mean? Uh, so I kind of like this question. Throwing it back to, what was it, 2008. Ryan, who's your Seth McClung of this pennant chase? So it's got to be Brent Suter, right? Like if you're thinking of the guy who's just kind of goofy and doing bullpen antics and all that kind of stuff and in sort of a flexible role too, right? Because that was McClung would start some and he would relieve some and was just sort of all over the place there. Now, the difference, of course, is that Seth McClung came in and was just like airdropped onto the team and... uh was not there long term and Brett Suter's been around yeah seemingly forever now he's he's got to be one of the more tenured te- guys on this team actually at this point so yeah he's been around a long time but yeah I I just I think of because whenever I think of McClung you think of two things you think of that what was it the Friday night game uh or was it Thursday night game it, whatever it was it was the the game that he was instrumental to keeping the game close before Ryan Braun could walk it off I think that was the Friday night game um, and then you think of him in the bullpen jumping around like uh, an idiot when Ryan Braun hit the ball over into the into the bullpen into the Brewers pen. So that's those are the two things that you think of with Seth McClung. So I think Suter fits. Yeah, I could see Suter doing something like that. Paul, what's your pick here? Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> uh, redhead thing. Both gingers. Yeah. And big and bearded. Yeah, I think it fits really well. So I'll go with that. Yeah, I, man, I, my favorite Seth McClung thing, though, isn't either of the uh, moments Ryan mentioned. It's that home road platoon that Ned Yost put him and Dave Bush in, which was just, frankly, ahead of its time. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one, one way to talk about it. Yeah, you know, um, it, it was kind of silly, but. Hey man, Ned was thinking outside the box. Never, never say <laughs> Ned didn't think outside the box. Um, you know, I he, he's making a decision there on, on very small sample sizes, and it may not have worked out. But you know, I I could see that being an idea some analytics department kicked around at some point eventually. You know, and <laughs> uh, he he just came about a decade too early on that. So, uh, but yeah, that that that's my lasting memory of the Seth McClung era i guess is the best way to put it and still a great follow on twitter by the way um <laughs> very entertaining so yeah I, it, I guess if we're going that route maybe brett anderson can be that guy because uh, mm. god knows he's not pitching in the playoffs so maybe he can at least be entertaining in the bullpen so <laughs> that'll be my answer uh so yeah as i said reminder you can always send us questions on twitter or Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. You get a uh, question priority here, just two bucks a month helps us out a little bit and, and you know, kind of adds to the community feel of the podcast a little bit. I uh, feel like I kind of get to know everybody who sends in those questions. So that's always kind of cool to me. So if you want to do that, throw a few bucks our way, as Paul says on the reporting as eligible podcasts, that's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. And, uh, you know, that question priority, not just for this podcast, you get it for Paul's as well. So uh, kind of a two for deal there. Good week to have it. <laughs> Definitely a good week to have it. If if you want answers about what the hell happened in Jacksonville, uh, sign up for Patreon and send the questions Paul's way. It's going to be like a four hour podcast, Paul. <laughs> it might be. It might get out of control a little bit. It was uh, just depressing all around. Can't believe it happened. Yeah, you know, but hey, now it's one of uh, 18 weeks instead of just 17 weeks. So maybe this is a game that we just look back in December and be like, man, that sucked, but that was weird. Or (laughs) hopefully, hopefully, or it could just be the first sign that Aaron Rodgers really doesn't give a shit about this year. And he's a little worried about that. The haircut, not a good sign. Um, (laughs) Really bad. The the bandana under the helmet. I was like, oh, no, he's just gone full. And I'm sick. I am sick of people telling me that the Saints are good. Like they're 
they're really, really not good, and, and people need to stop <laughs> doing that. They, they might be good when they have full strength and have everybody back healthy, but they 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 were so hurt this this game that they were playing like fourth stringers and still just dominating. So it's it's not a good team right now. Man, I I just love Jameis Winston's high school football stat line where he had like five touchdowns on a hundred yards passing. That's mm-hmm. that's classic, uh, ridiculous, like, just ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, I was playing a Saints fan in the league. I probably have the best chance of winning, and he happened to have Jameis and decided to start him. Uh, wow, yeah. that's amazing! Why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, well, kudos. yeah, he dropped the thirty-eight burger on me, so yeah. that's not great. Oh, man. Yeah. It, hopefully things uh, turn around. But, you know, I feel like Wisconsin sports work in a way that's like there's always got to be one really crummy team. And with the Bucks doing well and the Brewers doing well, maybe that's the Packers this year. But, hey, uh, Paul gets lots of content out of it. So that's at least a fun <laughs> lesson. Um, and, you know, speaking of all of our podcasts don't forget to subscribe to our podcast both this one and reporting as eligible on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket cast anywhere that you do listen to podcasts please do hit that subscribe button and you'll get that push alert when we push out our episode every single week and while you're there please do consider leaving us a review or a rating to help other people find us and always remember paul's guarantee to read whatever you put in if it's a five-star rating yep help us get the word out so nobody none of you made me say anything this week for shame mm, i maybe there's going to be more after this past week with maybe so yeah uh but yeah that deal is always out there and always fun so you get to make paul say whatever you want uh if you leave us a five-star review and it just helps other people find our podcast uh get more people kind of in this community which is always cool in the meantime, uh, we will be back a week from now. Hopefully, the Brewers keep things up, and maybe they'll throw another no-hitter. Who knows? Uh, a lot of crummy teams coming up. So uh, hopefully, by the time we do this again, the Brewers are officially in the playoffs. If not, uh, we'll talk about that then. Hope you all have a good week, and we'll see you next time here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.